The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I appreciate the songs tonight. Um, They're so much in line with what the sermon will be about, and I don't think that's by coincidence. Um, I think it's because of the Spirit of God working, but I think it's also because... What we sang about tonight, the gospel, it should be the theme of all of our songs. It should be the theme of all of our preaching. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we, that's what we have here. There are many ways to define Christianity. When you talk to the culture, when you talk to the world, when you think about the number of denominations and organizations that claim the name Christian, I mean, they're numerous. But when we start to think of Christianity as people who believe in the inerrancy of God's word, who believe that salvation is by faith, through grace, when people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ crucified on the cross, dying for sinners, when we start to define Christianity as those who are born again, truly, the evangelical community of God, that that group starts to narrow a little bit. And as we look at that group of people, What I've noticed over the past few years is what seems like a resurgence of this idea of focusing on the gospel. The gospel is literally making a comeback. And I don't mean to say that the gospel hasn't been a part of the church before that. It has. But what we've seen over the past few years is the emphasis of the gospel, not just on evangelism. See, the church has always been using the gospel as a way of showing people into the kingdom of God. And certainly, we understand biblically, it is the only way to enter the kingdom of God. But we're seeing it more and more in churches as the way that you live in the kingdom of God is by the gospel. And so when we look at Christian books today, the way to sell a book is to put the name gospel in the title. It's amazing. I was doing a search on christianbook.com, and I searched for books with the name gospel in the title. And there was 1,800 books. And most of them were published in the last few years. And I think this emphasis is really good. There's books like Gospel-Powered Parenting, Gospel-Powered Humility, Gospel Living, Gospel Giving, Just Gospel. This guy didn't get to originally, just Gospel. Uh, Another book, What is the Gospel? Or Gospel Assurance, The Whole in Our Gospel, Explicit Gospel, The Naked Gospel, The Gospel According to Jesus, and one that I've found very helpful, No Other Gospel. And we could go on and on and on and talk about books that are written about the gospel. And as I said, I believe this emphasis is really, is really helpful. It's really important in the church. It's a place the church needed to get to. But there are some cautions that come along with it. And one of those things is that oftentimes when something becomes popular, it tends to lose its meaning. It's this thing that everybody's talking about, and so we're putting the word gospel in front of everything we do, and all of a sudden we forget really what the gospel is and what we mean, and it just becomes a buzzword, a trendy word with no real meaning. And so it tends to lose its meaning. And oftentimes, number two, when we talk about something so often, it can become common to us. We forget what the gospel costs and how wonderful it is, and it's just a word that we throw out all the time, and it tends to lose its meaning and become familiar. We take it for granted. And the third thing that we should be aware of is that when something is emphasized that is good, the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that is where the devil will attack. The devil, he's not very original. What he always does is he takes good things and he manipulates them. He twists them. 
And so when we see the church speak about the gospel a lot, we need to understand that what's going to happen is the devil's going to come along and he's going to try and manipulate and twist and distort the gospel so that we use the word gospel and we are excited about the gospel but is not the true gospel of scripture. Well, enter the book of Galatians. Because the book of Galatians is dealing with this very issue of a church that knew the gospel. They had heard the gospel very clearly from the Apostle Paul but it had been distorted and manipulated. And now they had something other than the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is going to do is he is going to direct all of our attention away from all of these other false gospels and all of these other rules that we tend to add to the gospel back to the gospel by faith alone. And this series will be at least a year long, and I can promise you something, every week, every lesson, will point back to that gospel, this gospel. That is my goal in this series. You might say, Dan, I know all about the gospel. Well, I think there's two things you need to be aware of. The first one is, that is exactly what this church would have said. The response of this church would have been, I know all about the gospel. We got that already, Paul. We are the Sunday night crowd. Yeah, and I don't mean that badly, but listen, the church that he's writing to here, the churches of Galatia, He's writing to people who are, take their faith, their religion, very, very, very seriously. These were the ones that were lining up for circumcision. That's, that's hardcore. They thought that would help, and so that's what they decided they wanted to do. These were the Sunday night crowd. These were the, the fundamentalists. These were the ones that were willing to do whatever they thought would help their religion. So he's not talking to these nominal Christians who seem to not care. He's talking to people who take their belief, their faith, their religion very, very seriously. And they would have said, we know all about the gospel. And Paul says, you've got the wrong one. That's one thing I think we should be aware of going into the series. The second thing is that nobody knows everything there is to know about the gospel. I think a million years from now, we'll be glorying in new depths of knowledge that we get when we think about what it meant for God to die for us. We're never going to tire of it in heaven. So it's foolish for us to think we can tire of it here. We know very little of the gospel and how glorious it is, and yet we already glory in it as we do. And so my point is that we, that I, that you, that our church, we need this. We need a better understanding of the gospel. Not just because it's going to save us. No, it's, it's not just for salvation. It is for our lives. Tim Keller said that the gospel is the only way you can enter in the kingdom and the gospel is the only way you can live in the kingdom. And so, with that being said, let's pray and we'll begin our series. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. Lord, we thank you for what you did when you sent your Son to die for sinners like me, sinners like us. Lord, that you met the need that we could never meet, that you reached out to us when we had no hope of coming to you, Lord, that, um, that you bridged the gap, that you made a way for us to know you, to be reconciled to you, to, to be your friend, to be your child, when we were your enemy, when we had rebelled against you. Oh, Lord, we cannot understand how wonderful it is that you died to save us. And so, Lord, I, help, I pray that you'd help us as we go through this series um, to get more acquainted with the gospel, to fall in love more deeply with the gospel, to, to understand the implications of the gospel in our life. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we think tonight about authority and where our authority comes from and who we're truly living to obey, uh, 
that you would convict our hearts, that you would change our lives. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday night, I was lamenting the ending of the book of Acts. And this week, I have been far too excited about starting the book of Galatians. Um, this week, I've been, I, I, I'll be honest with you, when, I, when I've opened the book to study this week, I've had that like giddy feeling that you get when you're walking into a room when you know there's a girl you have a crush on in and you're just anticipating, you know, the, seeing them. And it, it's just this anticipation, this excitement of something that you're, you're really looking forward to. And, and that's how I'm thinking about the series. I can't wait. I, I can't contain my excitement. Um, and so it's gonna, I'm really excited about it because this is a, an awesome, awesome book. Now you might say, man, you're a weird dude. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. Yes and amen. But I'm not alone. Uh, Martin Luther said this. He said, the epistle to the Galatians is my epistle. To it I am as it were in wedlock. It is my Catherine. And uh, Catherine was his wife, and, and Luther had a wonderful relationship with his wife. And so he was saying that, that the book of Galatians is like his, his bride, his wife. And I'm just calling him my crush, so I'm not as weird as him. <laughs> Before we delve into this book, I want you to understand some of the impact that it's had on the history of Christianity. And we'll see that in some of the nicknames that it's earned for itself. But one thing that it's often called is that the book of Galatians is the Magna Carta, of the Christian church, the great charter of the Christian church. And that's what it is. It is the battle cry of the Reformation. And it was the book of Galatians that that they held high as they spoke about justification by faith alone, apart from works. The book of Galatians is the, the battle cry of the Reformation. It is the declaration of Christian independence. And it is the manifesto of Christian liberty been called this by many, many brilliant people, many great theologians. Because the book of Galatians, it's, it's all about the gospel, and it is all about the freedom that we have because of the gospel. It is impossible to overstate the historical significance and the power of this short book. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the stir- churches that he started in the region of Galatia. And so let's get into Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul begins this book stating his position. He says, I'm Paul, an apostle. The word apostle literally means sent one or delegate. And so he is somebody who has been sent. Now, the word apostle is used of a a, a number of different people in the New Testament. We Usually when we speak about the apostles, we speak about the 12 apostles. But Luke at one point is called apostle. There there are a number of other people that are called apostles. So what he's doing here is he's saying, yes, I'm a sent one. And so I'm writing not just with my authority, but he wants them to understand the authority that he's writing with. And he says, I'm an apostle, but not an apostle like Luke was. I'm not a sent one from a church to another church. I don't carry that authority. The authority that I'm coming to you with is... Not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is significant. This is the foundation. This this section right here is the reason why we are reading this book today. It wasn't Paul's idea. It wasn't Paul's gospel. It wasn't anything to do with Paul. This was the word of God. This was God's authority through the Apostle Paul. He was sent directly from Jesus. 
Now, when it says not of men, neither by men, it's kind of interesting what he's saying there because it seems like he's repeating himself. But when he says of men, he means it wasn't man's choice. So it's not like there was a man that stood up one day and said, Paul, I want you to deliver this letter to the Galatians. I am sending you by my authority, so go. And so we'd say, okay, well, that, that would be ridiculous. If, if a random guy in a church stood up and said, Paul, I'm sending you with authority, whose authority doesn't mean anything. But then he says something more interesting when he says, neither by man, and the word by is dia, it's where we get diameter, and so diameter is like when you go through something. You go the diameter circle, you can go through the circle. And so what he's saying here is that it's not by man, in other words, it's not through the authority of man. It's not even coming from God and going through man. It is directly from God to man. Now, that's, that's very unique. That's different. Okay? It's, it's not like the authority that your average elder or your average pastor or your average Christian minister would have. Okay? Because that authority, certainly there is a call from God to the ministry. But he's saying this, this is not just a call from God to the ministry that was recognized by the church, which is important. He's saying this is God speaking directly to me. Okay? And this happened to 13 men throughout history. It happened to the 12 apostles. When Jesus sent them, he said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Then Judas kind of messed that up pretty good. And then we have the Apostle Paul, who Jesus comes to directly, and he says, you have my authority, by my authority, go and teach these churches these things. And so Paul is claiming a very, very unique authority. This is essential in this letter, because he's about to, about to uh, disrupt the church in, in many ways. He's about to attack some of the things that the leadership of the church is teaching. So he wants them to know that it is not man's authority, it's not even through men, it is directly from God that he's speaking. Galatians chapter 1, verse 2 says, And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. It's amazing that he begins by speaking about his apostleship and the unique position he is, he is in there. But then he says, And all the brethren that are with me. And what he's trying to do is he's saying, I am just part of this family of God. I've been given this unique authority, but I'm writing as a part of the family of God. All the brethren are with me. To the churches of Galatia, and this is the only letter that Paul addresses to more than one church. It's the multiple churches. It's the province of Galatia. And Galatia would be a province much like Ontario with cities in it. Paul went to at least four, maybe more of cities in the region of Galatia. And so there are four churches at least that he's writing to here. Verse 3 says this, Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Paul is expressing his, his desire for these Galatians to experience the grace and the peace that only comes from God. But he reminds them here why this grace and peace is even possible in the first place. And this verse 4 here is one of the greatest encapsulations of the, of the gospel in the whole Bible. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful packed verse. Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this evil world according to the will of God. That is, that's the gospel. It says who we are. Who are we in that verse? Well, we're sinners, first of all, and we're sinners that are in need of deliverance. That is our state. We are lost in this present evil world. And he's not speaking about the physical world. It's not just like, well, they're just in the physical world, and I'm going to come and I'm going to take them out of the physical world into my world. He's talking about the age, the wicked mindset of the world, the fact that the world has turned its back on God. And so this 
this philosophy, this, the world who is in rebellion against God, he's come to deliver us out of this rebellion against God, this, this evil age. And he says, not just who we are, we're a sinner with no ability to save ourselves, but it's not just that. He says why Jesus came. He came to deliver. He came to rescue. And notice here, he didn't come to be an example. He did not come to be a teacher. That's, that's not what Paul says. It says he came to deliver. We are sinners drowning in the ocean of our sin. He didn't come to teach us how to swim. It's not like you're in the ocean of your sin. Okay, well, here's a, you know, how to swim for dummies. Toss out to you. Now learn to swim. He didn't come to jump in the lake beside you and teach you how to swim. That's not it at all. He came to throw you a rescue line, a rope, to get you out of that. That is what Jesus came for. And so, yes, he taught, and yes, he's an example, and all those things are true, but that's not his mission. It's, the Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to give his life a ransom for many. That was Jesus' mission. He gave his life in our place. It's the substitutionary atonement. Jesus paid it all. That's why Jesus came. And then he set, tells us the reason that Jesus came to rescue. And the reason is the will of God. It was God's will. It was God's plan. It's by God's grace. Jesus didn't come to save you because you asked him to. He didn't come to save you because he looked down from heaven and he saw something extra special in you or me, or, or, or anybody else for that matter. Jesus didn't come for that. He came because God's will before the foundation of the world was to send a Savior to die on the cross for our sins. And that's it. It's God's will. It's God's plan. And, and the reason I'm emphasizing this is because it's important to understand that it, it's not any of our goodness that makes this possible. There is nothing good in us. That is the essence of the gospel, is that we are nothing, and Jesus is everything. So the reason Jesus came to rescue is because of the will of God, and that, that alone. He died for you before you even knew you needed him. This was God's plan to save sinners, and this is the gospel in a nutshell. And because of all this, Paul can write and he can say, by the will of God and our Father. He can now call God his father. Even though at one point he was lost, he was helpless, he was a sinner, he was in need of deliverance, now he can look to God as his father. That's the gospel. And this is the gospel that he will spend the rest of the letter explaining to them and arguing for. Chapter, sorry, Verse 5 tells us why he did it all. And it is, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What is this whole thing about? Why did God send his son to die for sinners? Why did he rescue us from this evil age? Why was this God's will before the foundation of the world? And why is Paul writing this scathing letter of rebuke to this church? Why is all of this happening? Why is it all taking place? And the answer is simple. It's for the glory of God. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And if we can get that verse into our mind and understand that everything that is here, including you and me, are here for one ultimate purpose, it is the glory of God, we would, we would live different lives. 
I mean, it, that's what it's all about. It is not your comfort. It is not your pleasure. It is not your happiness. It is none of those things. I don't care how much people on television will promise it is. It is for the glory of God. Now, do you know what's wonderful? What's wonderful is when we start to actually pursue the glory of God, when we start to pursue the reason we were created, then God's desire for us is to find joy and happiness in that pursuit. And we do. We find purpose and meaning. We find that peace that we can't find anywhere else when we pursue the glory of God. But that's the only time you'll find it, and you'll never find it in pursuing happiness or peace or any of those things alone. You must pursue the glory of God. That's why you're created, and that's why this, this whole thing is about. So we look at these first five verses, and we're going to stop here for tonight. And this is Paul, and he just says, hey, this is your buddy Paul, writing to the churches of Galatia. Do you remember me? I am the guy who spilt my blood, giving you this gospel. I told you about Jesus, and now I'm writing to you by the authority of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm writing you to you for the glory of Jesus Christ. This is the introduction to the book of Galatians. You, you might say, well, that's wonderful, Dan, but I mean, Galatia, 2,000 years ago, completely different place, around the other side of the world, what does that have to do with me? Surely the church has moved on from some of the problems that the Galatians encountered. Hmm. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> no. Because we're still humans. That, that's the problem. And mankind, we, we deal with the same problems and the same issues from one generation to another, and it will be that way until Christ comes back. And so this letter is insanely relevant for the church, for us, for you and I. So what I want to do is, is just give you two points of application tonight. The first one is this. Authority is granted only by God. Authority is granted only by God. Paul's letter means something to us because it bears the weight of God's authority. That's the only reason we're reading it. That's the only reason it means anything. And do you understand that the authority is one of the most important aspects of your life? We don't always think about it, but do you know that your authority shapes your worldview? It shapes how you behave. It shapes the things that you love and the things that you dislike. I mean, when you have the thing that tells you what is right, where you come back to when you want to know truth, that determines your your life, the direction of your life. It determines your worldview. And so it is very, very important. I think of the little boy who's always asking why. They want to know why this. And then you give an answer, and it's like, okay, but why? Okay, but why? Okay, but why? And it never seems to end. But at some point, it has to come to the question, says who? Why? Why? Why is it like this? Why is it like this? Why? Because I said so. Or because God said so. At some point, there has to be an authority. And so the question for us is, is our authority going to be somebody like hmm, Oprah? Well, why do you live like that? Why do you pursue that? Well, because Oprah said it's a good idea. Is it going to be Dr. Phil? Is it going to be Joel Osteen? Is it going to be John MacArthur? I'm not trying to lump all those people together, but what I, the point I'm trying to make is, none of those men or women have ultimate authority. There is only one place you'll find that ultimate authority. It is in the Word of God. You say, well, I don't follow those people. Do you follow yourself? Do you think that your own logic and your own reasoning is somehow greater than God's? Uh, let me find a quote. Uh, there's a quote that um, Augustine said, and it's really, really good. He said, if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the Gospel you believe but yourself. He's absolutely right. 
if we go through the Bible and we say, yeah, the Bible's my authority, I love it, and then we find a part of the Bible we don't like or, or a part that we're not willing to obey, then we have made ourselves the authority and not God. If we don't let the Bible direct and change and, and alter our thinking so that what we believe now lines up with what the Bible says, then we are the Lord, not the Bible. The Bible must be the authority. Now, now you might think, okay, but God gave us human reasoning, and so shouldn't we use human reasoning? And, and absolutely, yes. The reason that we can do science, the reason we can do all of the philosophizing and, and other things that we do, is because God has given us the ability to reason. And God doesn't ask you ever to shut off your brains when you come to Christ. Okay, we believe in faith, but our faith lines up with evidence. In fact, our faith is a great way to interpret the evidence. It makes the evidence make sense. But understand that God gave us reason, the ability to reason, but the fall, it made that reasoning imperfect. And so we have one thing to correct our reasoning, back to what it should be, and that is God's word. And so... We can, we can make defenses of God's word. We can give proofs of God's word. The ultimate authority for the reason the Bible is true is because God says it's true. Spurgeon was once asked if he would defend the Bible. His response was, defend the Bible? Ha, I would sooner defend a lion. The idea was this. The Bible is powerful. It doesn't need to be defended. Okay, and it would be ridiculous to think you should stand in front of a lion much less the Bible, to defend it. So Paul didn't claim his own authority. It was granted by God. False religions are always born out of people claiming the authority of God when that is not theirs to claim. See, authority can only be granted by God. It cannot be claimed by man. And so this morning, Pastor made a very bold statement. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul made the same statement. So there's something wrong with that statement? No, when you understand it, it's an absolutely legitimate statement to make because he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Who is the ultimate authority in that relationship? It's Christ. And so as soon as pastor stops following Christ, what do you do? (laughs) Yeah, get off the train because it's going the wrong direction. But as long as there's a, a a leader that's following Christ, that what they're saying and teaching and living is lining up with the word of God, then it's okay to follow them. But the moment he steps away from the word is the moment we get off the train. Way too many churches have forgotten this basic truth. You have so many pastors that are claiming authority that's not theirs. And they're adding to the word of God and they're changing the word of God and they're, they're taking the word of God out of context to teach what they believe. And, it, and it's really disgusting. People think that the greatest attacks on the word of God come from outside the church. They come from people who, like Richard Dawkins, who just is antagonistic toward Christianity. That's, that's not the biggest attack on the Word of God, because we expect atheists to think poorly of the Word of God. The greatest attacks on the Word of God come from within the church, from pastors who are just distorting the Word of God to say what they want it to say. And it's disgusting. R.C. Sproul said this. He said, I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for power in program, in methodology, in technique, in anything and everything but that in which God has placed it, his word. He alone has the power to change lives for eternity, and that power is focused on the scriptures. 
So authority is granted by God, and authority is found in the Word of God. And Paul was making this very clear. Paul, Paul is backing himself out of the equation. He's saying, I'm Paul, but me being Paul means nothing except for the fact that I'm an apostle by the will of God. And so you should listen to me. Authority is important. So for us, well, who is our authority? Second thing, the gospel is authoritative to the glory of God. We often speak about the gospel being true. And it is true, right? But one plus one equals two is also true. Now, the eternal ramifications of that statement are much less. But when we say the gospel is true, I hope we don't understand that it's, it's not just this abstract truth out there that doesn't really have any effect or bearing on my life. That's, that's not it. The gospel being true also means the gospel is authoritative, meaning that God will judge you on two things. God will judge you on your sin. God will judge you on your response to the gospel. That means the gospel says that those who repent and trust in Christ's sacrificial death by faith alone will be saved. See, those who trust Christ will be saved. that's, That's authority, and that authority is in the gospel. That's what the gospel says. If you put your faith and trust in Christ, if you repent of your sin, you'll be saved. Do you know what else the gospel says? If you reject the gospel, you will be eternally damned. That's judgment. So it's authoritative. It also says that if you add to the gospel, you will be eternally damned. See, anybody that says the gospel is Jesus plus anything has just taken the gospel out of the equation. Because it can't be, the gospel is, is Jesus plus nothing. And anytime you add anything, you lose the gospel. And so he's dealing with the church that has added to the gospel. Do you know that nowhere in Scripture is the gospel presented as a path to God? One path to God. It is always presented as the only path to God. When this path is not taken, when it is reinvented, when it is changed in any way, it does not lead to God. This authority, this this gospel, it's authoritative, but it's authoritative to the glory of God. See, why is this so important? Why is... Paul so adamant? Why is God so adamant about this? It's because anytime anything is added to the gospel, then the, the glory goes from God to the person. If we can add anything, if I can do any good work to merit any small part of my salvation, what happens? Whoop. Nice job, Dan. You did a good job. You, you did your part in getting yourself saved. And God is no longer glorified because it wasn't him. So we don't add anything to the gospel. But the gospel is not only authoritative when we think of the unsaved. It's also authoritative in our lives as well. See, you don't become a better Christian just by trying to be a better Christian. You become a better Christian as you understand the implications of the gospel on your life. And those are authoritative as well. When you understand what sin is, that sin sent Jesus to the cross, that he suffered and died because of your sin, that has implications on how you live your life from this point forward. When you understand that God is as good as he is, that he would be willing to send his son, that has implications on who you follow, on how you live your life. And so these implications must be followed as well. This gospel and only this gospel leads to the glory of God. God gets all the glory for saving a sinner like me. And he gets all the glory for transforming a sinner like me. 
And that's how it's supposed to be. My goal in this series, I want us to fully understand the true gospel. And I, I honestly, I believe you do. I, I think that this is a church that you, you got a hold of the gospel. And I'm glad for that. But I want us to understand more fully. I want us to get deeper. I want us to focus more on the true gospel. And I want us to be passionate about this gospel. Kevin DeYoung said, The world needs to see Christians burning, not with self-righteous fury. And do you know what's so sad? What's so sad is the Christians that seem to make the news most often are the ones that are burning with self-righteous fury. It, it is Christians like this Galatian church. For they're so self-righteous, they're, so, they're, they're legalistic, and they're against everybody else, and they're so impressed with themselves. Those are the ones that seem to make the news. Those are the ones that seem to be passionate that the world needs to see Christians burning not with self-righteous fury at the sliding morals in our country, but with passion for God and passion for his gospel. As we leave tonight, we should ask ourselves, will we allow the word of God to be the authority of our lives? I don't think there's a question that's more important for a believer than that. Will you let God's word be the authority in your life? And will you allow the gospel change you to the glory of God? Let's pray.